Hi again, everyone, or anyone really, and welcome to the fifth already episode of the Pocket Dump Podcast from the Rogue Intel Network. We call it PDPC for short. I'm Matt Rollins, and I'm your host and your guide inside people's pants. Wait, that came out wrong. Listen, I'm a big believer that people are what they do, and not only what they do for money. For example, I am a podcaster, and believe me, I am not in it for the money. I talk to people about what they carry with them every day, and that teaches me about them as people. Today is another gun episode, only this time, it's a cop. Chris is a deputy of the sheriff, and he's the father of three kids under five, and he's an army vet. His idea of what he needs to get through a workday or a day off with the kids is heavier than yours. That's just a statement of fact. We talked about his on-duty carry a bit as well, and I asked him about less lethal weapons for the gratification of those of us who, for whatever reason, don't carry guns. I'm going to go ahead and move right along because this episode is already bursting at the seams. I hope you guys like it. I carry a knife. Surprised? You might carry a knife too. On the everydaily, a lot of us carry knives. Some of us, like today's guest carry a Swiss Army type knife, and some of us, like our host, carry more than one knife. Many of us carry multi-tools as well. Now, while I understand that some people only carry a multi-tool and all of their cutting has to be done with that, I'm not one of them. While the designers at Gerber weren't thinking about me when they designed this piece, the newest in the line of MP600s, this one is the bladeless model, it certainly appeals to me. For places where a knife is not welcome, hospitals, schools, airports, and planes especially, this is a really good option. It's the same tool as the MP600, which is tried and true. It opens out the front with needle nose pliers, then the pliers, which I would call a wrench, which is not in fact a wrench, but I learned that wrong when I was a kid and it's not quite gone yet, Uh, wire and hard wire cutters that are those replaceable carbide blades, and the crimper behind the neck all in the head of this pouch-sized 9-ounce hunk of 420 high-carbon steel. There is a bottle and can opener. That's one tool, thank you. The stats padding ruler engraved on the sides, as well as three flat screwdriver heads, a Phillips head, the excellent file that Gerber includes, and some scissors. And that's already a lot, isn't it? The knife blade on this tool has been replaced with a saw blade socket that accepts commercially available blades. Included is a Remgrit GJ4, which is sort of like sandpaper folded in half and glued down to a metal ruler. So you would take that and then just rub it against something really hard until it turned into two somethings. So it doesn't cut, doesn't slice, doesn't stab or even poke. But this Remgrit will, with work, get through a lot of stuff that a razor-sharp knife or even a tough and really tough-to-sharpen serrated knife won't defeat. With the added advantage of being able to discard the blade once it's kicked, or even carry a spare, this is that divorce from the knife that the multi-tool needs. The other big makers have options also. But, by and large, all the manufacturers still include knives in the multi-tools they make. As I said a moment ago, some people only carry the one thing, and I'm not saying that they're doing it wrong. But I carry a knife. And a spare knife. So... I like this way of adding to my multi-tool rather than duplicating, badly, another tool. They claim also that this is travel-friendly, but at an $84 MSRP, I am uncertain if I'd like to test that against the TSA in my area. You can go to GerberGear.com 
and search Bladeless to find it, or of course, follow the link in the show notes. I'm going to tell the story backwards. I have a new piece in the kit. It's from Broas Blades. It's called the BMT. You can find it at www.broasblades.com. B-R-O-U-S. If you go to the site, go directly to the multi-tools page, or you will get in deep, expensive trouble. Don't say I didn't warn you. I'm hoping that the BMT will supplant the Night Eyes doohickey and the True Utility 24-7 key tool, which I use together as a really small bare essentials kit that's just my house key, ignition key, and a modified Columbia River knife and tool peck. That's the small keyring mounted one. If I rush out of the house, I still have the doohickey's box wrench set, the bottle opener, the flathead driver slash pry bar functionality, as well as the file, tweezers, bottle opener, again, thread cutter, and different flatheads on the key tool. So I use the doohickey, which is itself a carbiner, as the fastener for my keys, and I have the knife, two keys, and the key tool on there. It pressure fits just right so it doesn't jingle around in my pocket, and it keeps a lot of my stuff from hanging out on my car's steering column. Yes, it's all China Palbanian, but that's okay, because I found a new solution. The Fixer, F-I-X-R, from True Utility. If you, like me, owned a doohickey, and like me, added the key tool to it for added functionality, and like me, spotted the fixer in your local knife shop, you'd react like I did, and think how cool that these tools have been merged into one bigger, more monstrous version of the doohickey. And then it dawns on you that the makers of the doohickey are not the makers of the fixer. The makers of the key tool are. The Fixer boasts 20 tools, including the ubiquitous bottle opener, a box opener, a spoke wrench, now a nail puller on the beefier pry bar. I'm still even talking about it as if it were the redesign of the doohickey, and not its competition. Photographed together, the family resemblance is undeniable. So here's my question. Whoever did design the doohickey, did they sell that design to the nice folks at Night Eyes and then go on to work on the big one, which Night Eyes then passed on? Or did the designers at True Utility see the doohickey and think, well, we can do better than that? I might never know. So I get a fixer. It's only $15. And I see this thing as an upgrade to what I'm carrying now. I can maybe add more keys. I can maybe drop the key tool itself. And, you know, new gear. I notice that it's got a leather sheath to cover all the pointy bits while it's in your pocket or your pack. Nice touch, guys. I swiveled the brass thing out of the way, and surprise, no cutting blade. So the fixer design is really cool. Like I said, I'm telling the story backwards. There's a brass piece that rides on the front of the black steel flat mini pry bar doohickey copycat, and that part swivels on a central pivot to get the four tools that are cut into it into positions that can be used. The edges of that brass plate are screwdrivers and a cleaning hook for under the fingernails. Behind that is a replaceable, I think, cutter, like a strap cutter, edge cutter, inside that nook behind the smallest box wrench, but it's covered by that brass piece so that it never makes an unintentional slicing of everything that's in your pocket. But the cutting blade is screwed into the tool itself, and mine was missing. Not in the box, not put in backwards, it just wasn't there. 
I called the shop where I got it, and they told me to just bring it back for an exchange. They're awesome. So up I go, after just a little more fiddling around with it. The 24-7 key tool has to stay, because that's still my only tweezers. And the file on the 247 is by far better than the file on the fixer. Also, I started to worry. If the screw holding on the blade can get loose, or missed, or whatever, what about that swivel assembly? I mean, I have the drivers to tighten it, which are torques, but how often will it come loose? It adds some size to my ignition key set, but does it add enough extra usefulness to make that upgrade worth it? I began to doubt myself. So I went back into the shop, the exchange was made, and then I saw the BMT. So the idea that the fixer wasn't enough, coupled with the stonewashed D2 steel, no moving parts, absolutely badass BMT just sitting there in the case, I had to. It's my wife's fault, really. She was with me for the first visit, and not with me for the return, and she told me to bring back a fixer for her father for Father's Day. So there's links to all of these things in the show notes. The little one, the bigger one, how they could be unrelated, a little bit weird to me. That's the story backwards. That's reverse engineering. Let's dive right into the interview with Chris. He's a deputy of a sheriff in the Northeast. If you skipped to this section, he's an army vet and a father of three small children. I hope I asked him a lot of good questions and that you enjoy it. Chris, are you ready to go? Sure. This is the eight basic questions. I start all my interviews this way. Ready? Sure. Do you carry a gun? Yes. Do you carry a knife? Yes. Do you carry a flashlight? Yes. Do you carry a multi-tool? Yes. Do you carry a bag? Yes. Well, two. Sort of. Well, two, sort of. <laughs> Do you have a weight of all of that stuff that you carry? Minus the bags, I'm carrying 6.29 pounds or 100.7 ounces. What was the last thing that you used? Uh, my Gerber Flick multi-tool. Did you cram for this interview? No. So, uh, of the eight basic questions, I think you were my first interview that actually has everything. And in addition to everything, you have everything again in at least one of those bags. You are the most laden person that I've spoken to on the show so far, but there's a reason for that. You're a law enforcement officer. So you forgetting things or needing stuff is a completely different level than maybe somebody else. Not just that, but old habits die hard from the military too, I guess. Well, the, what's the infantry saying? Is it two is one and one is none? Uh, I wouldn't know. I was work with the engineers. Oh, no fun at all. So yeah, you roll a little bit heavy. Let, let, can we put it that way? You have two bags. One of them is your... Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about my waistline. Okay. No, yes, yes, yes. I carry two bags. You carry two bags. What? So one of them is uh, like a civilian carry bag? Like that's a bag that you would have with you on a day off and one of them is your on-duty bag? One bag is big, bulky, and camouflage. The other one's a uh, black Victor Knox backpack, so it's like a low-profile, high-profile of sorts. Okay, so the high-profile bag is a little more dangerous? Yeah, because I generally don't need to go hiking or hunting in my day-to-day -day activities, but when I go hiking or camping when I'm off, which I try to do at least once or twice a week, yeah, I take that bag with me. I am a whore about bags. Um, Matt, oh. my last guest, was also a huge bag whore, and... You're someone who carries two bags out to the car whenever you leave the house, so I think you might have the same problem. I carry one bag out to the car. The other one stays in the trunk. Oh, uh, one of them stays in the car. Yes. 
The big scary looking bag. That's from who? Oh, wow. This kills me. Eberly stock? Yes, thank you. You blanked on Eberly stock. Uh, hey, you have three kids, work a full-time job, and let me know how good your memory is. The Ebler stock G2 gunslinger. Yeah, that's a big, like, up-the-mountain sort of backpack. Yes. Is that the one that stays in the car? For the most part. And that's loaded down with all kinds of other emergency preparedness stuff, isn't it? Somewhat. I mean, some people might use the P word. I prefer to think of it more along the lines of, hey, that looks like a pretty awesome trail. Let me go hike it. And... I'd rather be ready for the unknown than not. Uh, while I would love to talk about the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um, That's not what it's for. I, oh God. I, I feel The Walking Dead's an awesome show, but it's given people too many of these ideas. It That's more of a military mentality for the bag, but yes. Okay, so the other bag, the smaller bag, the one that comes in and out of the house every day, what goes in there? Cell phone charger, magazines of some sort, some reading material, because when you got little kids and you sometimes have to stop somewhere, even if it's an auto trader or something, they think they're reading a book. It keeps them occupied for 15 minutes. Good for me. On the work-related end, I might have some notepads if I need to extra take extra notes, some extra paperwork laid over. I might carry some Axe body spray in there because, face it, after working 16 hours, you might not receive too well when you get home. Everything in that bag I can use for work, yet still works for me every day. So, like, if I'm going out with a family, we all have the same phone charger. And in this day and age, generally, even if you lose reception, your battery dies faster. So I have a, the charger in there. That's one of the most commonly used items out of that bag. Snack foods for both me or my hungry kids. Uh, so you carry a gun daily? Yes. Uh, what is that? Off-duty, it's a Glock 23. On-duty, it would be a Glock 22. And those are closely related. They're both forty caliber guns? Yes, the 23 is the compact version. More comfortable in my hand. If I had my choice, I'd carry a 23 even at work, but my agency says otherwise. Your agency goes big with the Model 22, which is a full-sized gun. Yes. Uh, you carry same caliber, same make, different model. Do you do that on purpose, or is that your preference? I do that on purpose. Originally, the preference was I wanted something of a different caliber, but due to legality issues... I shouldn't say legality issues. I should say more uh, lawsuit or uh, what we call indemnification, where if I get involved in an incident off-duty, I carry a derivative of what I carry at work. Some lawyer can't say, well, you don't know what you're doing. That's why out of the 16 bullets you fired, one hit my client that was in the background. You aren't properly trained in that, are you? No, I carry what I qualify with. Just a smaller version of it so it doesn't print as badly. Uh, our last episode that contained a gun, the gunsmith who was on that show carries a full-size all-metal gun. Carries it inside the waistband. He says he has no problems with that. Generally, I would agree with you, but what I find is that it's your grip size. The hardest part on a gun to hide is your grip, not your barrel. I can stick probably up to six-inch barrel down my pants and you wouldn't notice it, but that inch or half inch on your grip can make a huge difference with the type of shirt you wear. To go lighter, you've also switched holsters recently. You, yes. Uh, even when you emailed me your stuff, you had a pancake holster. Is that correct? And now you're back to inside the waistband, you were telling me. Yes. You switch back outside the waistband when when it's appropriate, when the weather becomes appropriate and a jacket is okay. I might switch out throughout the course of my day, too. Like, for example, when I come home, I really don't like walking around my house with a almost two pound piece of steel on my pants. Maybe some people like doing that. I personally don't. 
So if I'm back home or I'm out doing stuff out in the yard or other things, I'll switch back out to my outside holster where at that instance, I really don't care if anybody sees it or not. I'm back in my house or I'm out. If I'm in the woods hiking, it's the retention. I believe on your last firearms interview you had when you were talking with someone, he made a comment about the fact that his holster doesn't have a retention ability on it. Uh, Yeah, he said there was no, uh, he couldn't find an inside the waistband holster with a retention strap on it. Yes, correct. The holster that I carry is a derivative of my, of the duty holster that our agency issues out to us. It's just Safari Land calls it, I guess, their uh, concealed carry option with bulkier clothing or something like that or a jacket. Yes, it conceals better than a duty holster and it has the same release mechanism. So it's one muscle memory I have to work on versus learning a different way to retrieve a weapon from a holster. So currently you have two knives. If you don't count the multi-tool, yes. Uh, okay, three with the multi-tool. And what is your multi-tool? It's a Gerber Flick. That's F-L-I-K. God, that leads to some bad problems when you're trying to type it late at night and you're slightly inebriated on Google. Uh, so that's the uh, smallest of the pouch models from them, I believe. If you say so. I uh, Seven years ago when I was in the military, I lost my multi-tool and I was at the PX and I'm like, hey, this looks cool. So it was one of the cheaper ones they had, too. I think I paid 50 bucks or something for it at that time. Yay, exchange prices. Yeah, I guess you could say that. That and prices have gone up in the last 7 to 10 years, I think. Although, to be honest with you, the Flick doesn't have the greatest quality tools on it. But it's the best stopgap, because it's a lot lighter than what I used to carry. Uh, What was that? That was a Leatherman Mutt. Which uh, has like a hammer strike device and a bunch of specialized uh, weapon tools on it. Yes, but I don't carry an M16 with me every day anymore, so I don't quite need certain armoring tools. The Gerber does everything I need it to do satisfactorily. I wouldn't say to anybody who's listening to this, go out and buy a flick. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's never failed me. I haven't broken anything on it. Used it today. Yes, but I'm also very keen on its limitations. Like, I won't use it in an application where I might use something bigger. Yes, the Gerber flick I use almost daily. I mean, I was berry picking the other day with my wife and kids, and that's how I finally got her to stop harassing me about the multi-tool on my pouch. There were thorn bushes in, in our way to the blackberries, and between the wire cutters and the scissors, I was able to prune our way in. Because, face it, I'm a little lazy. If I walked up to the house to go get a lopping shears, we wouldn't be eating berries because I wouldn't be coming back. You also carry a uh, an official Vectronox, so an official Swiss Army. That's the Tinker, is your model? Yes, I'm not a fan of the Swiss Army knife, the style of it, or of Victorinox's metal. Particularly, I think that their uh, blade steel is too soft, but you disagree with me. Have you ever skinned a squirrel? No. You'd be surprised how good it works for that. Okay. It has the tools that I like on it. I mean, can openers. I, I love can openers. That's also where you carry tweezers. Yes, that's one of the most commonly used tools now that I don't eat as many canned products. (laughs) If I were to take a list of every single tool I have that I have in my person, counting all the different tools on each multi-tool and everything, it's probably in the top five for most used items. You get that splinter in your finger when you're out in the woods or your five-year-old comes running up to you with a splinter. It's amazing how well that works. And the only company doing that is uh, Vectronox. No, I think there's another company that makes tweezers, but I don't like them as much. I almost think Leatherman has a tool that has, like, little tweezers in it, but it's like a weird piece of stamped metal. It's like a straight piece of stamped metal that they then put, like, a weird bend on it. So the tweezers aren't as good. I've tried using them. They're not as sharp of a point that you can, like, dig something out with. 
So that tinker is one of the last things to leave you. Your Vectronox with the tweezers in the handle is uh, vital. Well, the big thing is the can opener. I always want a can opener with me, and I always want tweezers. That little tinker that I have works so well for me because it has the tweezers in it. It has the can opener. works great. The knives, I I mean, I jokingly said to you before, have you ever skinned a squirrel? But that knife actually works really good for small game processing. I have used it on a squirrel and woodchuck. That's for another conversation, I think. Again, it's an interesting conversation, but it's not the Everyday Carry podcast that I'm doing. Very true. But just just one bit of advice. Casey mm. Masterpiece is amazing. So good. <laughs> not not the rodents, the, the Casey Masterpiece. Oh, okay. So y- I'm a sweet baby Ray's guy. Okay, thing. okay. Uh, teach their own. Teach their own. Although mesquite does have a nice flavor to it, but okay. The screwdriver tip on the Victor Knox is a much bigger screwdriver tip. I don't know what number you'd say it is because I know they rate the tips in numbers. It complements my flick nicely because the flick just has a very pointy small screwdriver. Uh, and your last knife is your more dedicated cutting knife. That's the Buck Vantage Force Pro. Correct. Does that have enough names or can we get something else on there? S30V. <laughs> right, with its particular steel type. That's got that really deep pocket carry yes where the screws are right on the back and is reversible actually that's another reason uh that i carried that one too is most law enforcement these days wear cargo pockets or uh, cargo pants mm-hmm. you can have a knife in your cargo pant and you flap over with this one mm-hmm. and you don't even see the knife blade sticking out mm-hmm. so it, it, it's discretion or not even discretion uh, it's your profile it's it's low profile. It works great. It has a subdued blade on it, so it doesn't get all shiny and everything. Although I don't think I need to worry about that now. That's probably a throwback to my military days. And uh, it also says on the email that you carry two different wallets. Yes. Uh, one of those is uh, the Travax wallet. Yes. That is a, uh, it's a steel plate and an aluminum plate that are sort of lashed together with Velcro. And paracord. And some paracord. That carries for you ID cards, licenses, insurance cards, stuff like that? It carries all but one of my credit cards. Uh, Hunting licenses, fishing license goes in the back, goes in this lovely state. Your license isn't just one page. It's kind of looks like that old uh, wallet from the 90s when the guy opens it up and you see like 32 pictures fall out. I keep a spare ID in there. And that's about it because my other wallet is my work wallet that has my work ID, my cash in it. If I have to grab just one wallet for any reason, I'll grab my work one. Mm-hmm. But the Travax, what I like is it also uh, RFID shielded. Mm-hmm. It's an awesome wallet, but if you use a Metro card, I would not recommend using it. Because a lot of the Metro cards, if you if you want to be able to take your card or take your credit card for that matter and like tap it for the tap to pays, it won't work. Because mm-hmm. it, it blocks the shielding so that way someone can't scan it or the machine can't scan it. Mm-hmm. So that would be a balancing act. It depends. Do you want your Metro card open to be scanned when you go through a turnstile? Do you want to have your credit card so you can just tap it at the register instead of taking everything out? Me, myself, I prefer security versus uh, the extra half second I'll save in time. And you carry, if I'm looking closely, two flashlights. Yes, yes, yes. There is two flashlights. On your keyring, there's a Life Gear mini light? Yes. Uh, what kind of batteries is that? Use? Good question. I've never opened it up. Okay. So it's like a little sealed LED thingy? Yes. You twist it and it turns on. I got okay. a two-pack for Christmas from my little cousin. One for me and my wife, so. Aw. Uh, and your actual flashlight 
is Claris ST11, ST11. Yes. You have listed here 900 lumens. That's what they say, and I kind of call it my Icarus light, but yes, it is one of the brightest lights I've seen. The only way I can really kind of top it is if I get like one of those old uh, incandescent lights that has like the giant battery uh, that weighs like three pounds and like floods your whole backyard. Right. The like camp light. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what kind of batteries in the Claris or is it a rechargeable? It uses CR-123, those lithium batteries that are like ungodly expensive. So I also got a rechargeable... 18650 is the number. I guess it's the style is what they call them. It's ironically the same battery you find in the battery packs for a laptop, at least at one point. But uh, it's a rechargeable protected cell battery that will last me a lot longer than the CR123s. And I have two or three of them. I keep one of those charged in my bag, too, that you were talking about before. And then I have one at home. So that way I always have two batteries with me. So yes, this light will light up my whole backyard on a pitch black night. But I can set it down as four different settings, which is like daylight blinding, not so blinding. You then you have like your normal range output for like a mag light, and then you can go down to like a one watt or whatever output that's good for reading. So if it's you're in a tent and you're camping and you want to just like read a book at night for any reason, for those people who still read books, you can kick it on and it doesn't bleed out the letters on the page for you. It's good for looking at maps, I guess. Is another way of looking at it. Uh, right, the more, uh, yeah, the more tactical version of that. Oh, I try not to use the T word either. Tactical. Oh, okay. So we can't use the word prepper. I I, I didn't say prepper. You, oh, no, damn you it. said the P word. Yes, yes, you got me to say and that. the T word, right. Well, there's maybe a subculture among law enforcement to just be ready for a lot. And... Maybe that bleeds over into being ready for a lot, just in general. So, do you see guys that you work with maybe that over-prepare? You, you think that you're at the right level. There's stuff maybe you could get out of there. Maybe some guys get away with one wallet, with one light, with one magazine, with one... I'd almost put myself leaning towards the slightly over-prepared end, too. My wife, she used to make fun of me when we first got married, that I I looked like I was always ready to jump out of an airplane and... Go fight Germans, I think was what she said, and that worked for her. <laughs> uh, so you no longer look that way. I try not to look that way so hard, especially in this day and age. We have individuals in our own society that might view cops as threats. You've seen how it's been going on the last couple months. And then you got people from out, even outside our country. you got terrorists now that are targeting military, law enforcement, anybody for that matter. But they might look for the military or law enforcement who are off-duty. As sad as it is, it's OPSEC, or what we call in the military, operational security. If you don't make yourself a target, you might not be a victim. So we need to go ahead and rid you of your multicam operator hat, don't we? I actually, now that you say that, I, I have to admit this. It's just tough for me to admit, but I have a uh, sand-colored or neutral-colored hat coming in to replace oh, the multicam do. hat. That hat will be hung up for the first time in about three years. and Oh, it must smell awful. Oh, God, it does. But I, I wash it like one once every other month now. Your, uh, that everyday in and out of the car bag. Oh, you said it was a Vectronox bag. Vectronox, okay, so yes. So it's like a backpack, like a, a book bag. Yes. That's what I like. It. It's discreet, low profile, doesn't scream, hey, look at me. Right. And maybe that's the moral of the story here is that you carry a good deal of stuff. Six and a half pounds worth of ready to go, 
that's when you're including your uh, your sting, your fixed bladed knife, uh, your tactical folding knife, all that extra stuff. Uh, your padlock keys, your vehicle keys, everything adds up to that. But you don't look like you're carrying six and a half pounds of stuff. No, I just look like a fat white guy walking down the street. Fair enough. And not every, if every fat guy was a target, we'd all be in trouble. Yes. I actually ventured to a major metropolitan area in the last month or so. And walking around down there, oh boy, do I feel better about myself. Just in general girth or uh, that you're ready for something? Oh yes, I saw one person trying to fit through a turnstile and couldn't even make it. So if you were in a, a larger metropolitan area, uh, was that more restrictive as those are generally more restrictive to gun laws? Oh God, yes. Well, did that make you change what you carried? Not one bit. And that has to do with you being an active law enforcement officer? Yes, I'm doing my hardest to keep politics out of it. But yes, I had everything I had. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like if you're inside the waistband, if you're untucked, if your deep pocket carry on your Buck Vantage Force Pro, there's, oh, there's some kind of clip on your uh, flashlight, your 900 lumen light, the, or that just rides in a pocket. There used to be a clip on it. Okay. Yeah. Story time? Uh, it, it was like a snap-on clip that I said the day I got this. Wow, I'm going to lose this one day. Uh-huh. Only took two years. Okay. So it lasted a lot longer than I expected. Uh, so how does that ride now? If I had my way, I'd have a pouch on my belt. But once again, my wife says she does not want me to have what she calls the bat belt anymore. Mm -hmm. So now it rides in a pocket. Okay. So I'll either have cargo shorts on this time of year or carpenter pants. Boy, do I love mm -hmm. carpenter pants. Uh, you're not the first person to mention that. Also another gun episode, by the way. What are you saying? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying not to draw conclusions. I'm just trying to educate. But the thing here is that even in uniform, there's a way to be uh, low profile, to act less like you are dressed to destroy. Yes, I want the little kids to run up to me and ask me for help or give me a hug, not run away and cower in the corner afraid they're about to get arrested or they're about to get shot, which in some areas that we've dealt with in a past employment the kids ran away from us because they thought we were there to take them away from their parents in your off-duty carry your multi-tool is in a pouch on your belt you haven't been able to get rid of that yet no no still keep it on a pouch so that's the one pouch that you kind of give well, yourself two years ago if you were to look at my belt i'd have one two three four items hanging on the belt and keys dangling on a key loop I've reduced everything now down to one pouch on my hip, and the key's still dangling, but my wife's given up on that one. <laughs> the key, your keys hang outside of all of your pockets? Yes. You don't see a, a gap in operational security there? Why do you say that? Because they whatever's holding them could fail, and then they're gone. Nope. Whatever's holding my keys, because my keys dip into my pocket, if it fails, they're caught by the fact that they're in a pocket. For five or seven years, I can't remember how long I've been using a carabiner now, I've never had one fail on me. Luckily, mm -hmm. but my keys are also big enough that I can tuck them into my pocket. So you do that occasionally? Yes. But they're attached to that loop? Yes, if I'm going to do something slightly more athletic, or if I want to be more quiet. Like when you have a child or spouse sleeping outside in a lawn chair and you want to nail them with that water balloon, I'll tuck the keys inside the pocket, keep them still on the clip, so I can get into position. That's a pro tip. For water balloon attack. Yes, or garden hose if you really want to be evil. All right, so um, let's talk about on-duty carry. You have a whole other set. Yes. Of once you get to work, 
all of this stuff may basically stays on you, or your while your Glock gets put away, another Glock gets put onto your hip. And now you're carrying that bat belt style, and there's a whole other set of utility that goes on. When I need a weapon, yes. Right, because your particular skill set with, you work for a sheriff's department? Yes. So sometimes you're inside a correctional facility and sometimes you're not. Correct. Okay, so I think the thing that people are curious about is that police utility belt. Okay. So rather than getting into specifically correctional stuff, we can talk about that. Now your gun has gotten bigger. Now you're carrying more ammunition. What else is added to that belt? Well, it really depends on uh, what function. Like if you had a patrol officer come up to you or you had a you had a call for service, the guy that would be knocking on your door. Not the door kickers. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Let me make that a uh, yes. Knocking on your door as in police, you called. Can we help you? Not. Right. Yes. No. I, well, there's there's apparently just nationally not enough of that. What, uh, asking can we help you or. The we-are-here-to-help kind of police. There's a lot of door-kicking lately, it seems. No, I'll say no. I'd say what gets immediate attention. Okay. Would you say it's the officers playing basketball with the kids in an inner-city community? Or the officer who gets assaulted by a mentally unstable senior citizen and the officer has to protect himself? And that's when the camera comes out. As soon as the officer's put in the elderly person in handcuffs, after they might have just assaulted the officer with a cane. But... I digress. What I carry on my belt, a radio, less than lethal weapons. Myself, I've only ever carried chemical agents, a pepper spray. You've never carried a taser. I've utilized or had them utilized on me, but I have not personally deployed one or carried one for deployment. Was that an option at your agency? To have it used on you or to carry it? To carry it. Did they say you can have one if you like? Not at that point. They We were in a transitional phase at that point, so not everybody carried them. But everybody had uh, chemical agents. In your case, OC. Oleo resin capsicum. Yes. Wow. Don't ask me how to spell it. Right. I have been, one to where were you at? Four times zapped with OC in my life. Fun times. Mm -hmm. Three of those were training. And one of those was uh, an overzealous fellow officer. Yeah, an yeah. overzealous coworker. O overzealous interdiction. <laughs> I've had one or two of those. <laughs> and by the way, contacts mm. suck in those instances. Oh, contact lenses. Oh yeah, yes, that. it's like playing a game of operation. I guess right. You have to get it out of there without just making everything worse. Except I don't use tweezers for that. Right. No, that would be no tweezers to the eye. <laughs> I have enough of a problem with, like, glass lenses to the eye that tweezers to the eye would be a whole other okay, thing. Okay, now, I've digressed too far. Let me just go over a belt yeah. real quick again for you. Sure. I, ca I carry one sidearm, and that is instance was a Glock 22. Mm -hmm. Two spare magazines for a total of three magazines at 45 rounds altogether. Mm -hmm. A radio, chemical agents, two pairs of handcuffs, my keys, a baton when I had to. That is, that was more by mandate. That's all on the belt. Anything else I carried was in my pockets or in my trunk. What's something that patrolling officers all carry that we don't realize? Like, what's that thing? CPR masks. CPR masks? Yes. Before I ever entered this line of work, you asked me, what, what do I think a cop would have? Mm -hmm. I would have never guessed basic first aid supplies or a defibrillator. Our agency, every car had a defibrillator in it. So maybe that's even more of a shock to some people. Uh, a policeman responds to every 911 call, so it's entirely possible that a policeman is a first responder, a rescue first responder. Yes. They're not only going to where there's trouble, they're going to where there's any kind of issue. 
and never know what they're going to get to get into. Yeah, I kind of got the omen of a black flag or a black cloud, should I say, not a black flag. Whenever we were in a rush or we had to do something without fail, it always used to be a uh, severe car accident of some sort. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten in a car accident, but if you're with me, be ready to see one. Two separate occasions as I came up on vehicles that were missing wheels. One instance, I saw a uh, chihuahua where the driver was supposed to be. That's a little bit weird. Actually, that one was even off-duty. No, that was a, uh older gentleman got clipped by somebody else who was making an illegal U-turn, took out the whole front end of his car on the passenger side, removed a whole wheel and axle, airbags deployed, and his car was coming directly towards me. At least he was slowing down. But with the air, airbag, dust, and everything, all I could see was a dog in the car. So at first, it's like I'm seeing, oh great, this car's gonna hit me. Wait, is that a chihuahua? Am I dreaming? Is this like some like weird fantasy? But no, I, I got out there and I found uh, an elderly gentleman and his mother in the car. Luckily enough, my big bag that people like to make fun of me for at times, I always keep water and some basic first aid stuff in that too. So we were able to flush some of the airbag dust out of their face. And it's just instances like that is another reason why I carry this stuff in my trunk. Right, because it's mandated that as a law enforcement officer, uniformed or not, that you respond. We have a duty to act, whether it's call 911 or put ourselves in the situation as a responder. Yes, we have to do something. We can't just turn the blind eye. Is there anything that people expect cops to have that you didn't carry? Can't say that I ever had a situation where someone said, well, why don't you have that? Fairly recently, an officer was asked why he didn't have a taser. I never personally had that incident, but I do hear that argument regularly. Right, well, why don't you have that? And uh, Well, I guess your answer is pepper. If I had my choice, I'd always take a taser over pepper, but yes. Really? And yes. And you've done both for training purposes? Oh, yes. I've had the unpleasant experience of both. And you preferred the taser? I would rather get hit with a taser than sprayed with pepper spray. Yet, I would rather deploy a taser on a person than pepper spray. Because neither of those two tools I would be using for the greatest shock or pain value. My concern is to de-escalate a violent situation to a non-violent situation as quickly as possible. With the least collateral damage to myself or the other individual. I got someone who's either hopped up on drugs or in an altered mental status. That pepper spray might not work on them. Yet the taser versus being a pain compliance, which is what the pepper spray is, affects somebody's muscular system so they can't control their arms or legs. So it's more of a mechanical effect than a psychological effect. Because when you boil it down, you got the chemical agent, which is a psychological effect on you. I don't want to fight you anymore because, ow, this hurts. Versus the taser with, yes, it's definitely not comfortable. It's very unpleasant. But you literally, I could not move my arms. I could not move my legs. Well, the way I wanted to move them, at least. Oh, they were moving. <laughs> yes, they do move. But in your off-duty carry, you carry neither of those left lethal choices. Yes. Uh, it's just, if, if something goes off, then do you feel unarmed? Would you go to the knife before you go to the gun? Oh, dear God, no. I'd never use a knife like that. Okay, so you don't have the knife for fighting. If all. I have to use the knife for fighting, I have bigger issues to worry about than why am I using a knife to fight. Uh, what are those? First off, that means either 
A, I put myself in a really bad situation that now the only means to defend myself is a knife and I didn't tactically withdraw, or why is my weapon no longer an option? My sidearm, should I say. It could be either I'm on the ground fighting for my life and someone's trying to get the weapon, so I'm laying on it to prevent them, or the firearm is no longer with me. That is the worst case scenario. Losing a gun is the worst thing that could happen. In a self-defense situation, if you had a weapon on your person losing it, yes, that is the worst situation. I can imagine. Because that means somebody else now has access to a weapon that I don't. So your response in any kind of situation like that, uh, your number one response is lethal. No, my number one response is to try to talk somebody out of doing something they're going to regret. I would rather de-escalate it with my words than have to do anything else. Okay, but why not pepper that? In an off-duty capacity? Yeah, in an off-duty capacity. Why not have Pepper as an option? Because if I'm going to escalate to that degree of force in an off-duty capacity, there'd be other law enforcement there, I hope to God. And the only other situation that you would use something like that is somebody's using a higher degree of force. The Pepper spray in our agency and how it's always been explained to me in an academic setting pertaining to law enforcement is... You use the chemical agents before you go hands-on. It's to de-escalate the level of violence being used or the force. So, like, you spray somebody so they don't want to fight you now. Any situation where I would want to get involved with off-duty would have to be either very serious, as in the only choice is to go for my weapon, or it would be to try to separate two people. If we're looking at, like, somebody assaulting another person, severely assaulting the other person, like they have a definite position of advantage... And the guy's like three times my size. Okay, yes, my weapon would come out and tell him, get off the person, get down. Possibly. I mean, th- that's just how I'm envisioning it. I can't make it definite without being in the situation. I can't make that statement. Nobody can. I'm not going to fight somebody three times my size, especially if I don't have any backup. If you, If I find myself in a fair fight, I've already done something wrong. So in my current location, carry permits for handguns are very rarely issued. Okay. Although it is lawful for me to possess a handgun, I can't have it with me outside the house. What good does that do you? Uh, it protects me while I'm in the house. However, I don't get to stay in all day. Although podcasting is a very solitary existence, uh, I do occasionally have to actually leave my home. Do you recommend less lethals for people in situations like mine? Uh, is it advantageous for me to carry a taser, for me to carry pepper spray? That's a tough one. I would say yes for you, but not necessarily the average person. That's something that you've been trained in. I'd say your your best bet, if you're going to carry something to defend yourself, know what you're doing. I mean, somebody asks me, what is the best thing I can carry to defend myself? And my response is your brain. More situations that people get into confrontations or like a one-on-one confrontation can be solved if somebody just stepped back and thought about it and de-escalated or didn't put themselves in the situation. For those of us who are unarmed, the number one thing is to avoid those situations. Yes, I mean... My situation now where I'm not sworn law enforcement is to avoid any possible need to interdict. If you have to defend yourself, by all means, defend yourself. Uh, I'm not saying just step back and cower in the corner. That's one of the biggest things I don't like seeing. I feel if people were willing to take responsibility for themselves, stand up for themselves, do things for themselves, for others, have the moral fortitude, I guess is the term to use, we wouldn't have as many issues criminals prey on the weak. People who have nefarious motives look for the easy mark, look for the victim. It's kind of like going out in nature. Will that coyote, will that hyena go for the biggest animal in the pack or go for the weaker animal, the smaller animal? What will provide them the least resistance? 
Well, so my counterpoint to that for localities, for jurisdictions where firearms aren't allowed is carried self-defense. Uh, what is the thing that is okay to carry? What is the way that someone could arm themselves for that predator? The reason why I say I wouldn't want somebody to carry pepper spray, I'll just get specific with it. What if you go to spray somebody in the face, you have it backwards and you spray yourself? What if you don't realize that you want to get a positional advantage where the wind is behind you, not in front of you, and you go to spray and it blows back in your face? If you're going to carry any implement, a weapon, a tool to protect yourself, you need to know how to use it. So I'd say the best thing somebody can get, the best thing they can carry is training. Find a professional self-defense instructor. Find a school. There's a lot of schools, even in our area, that teach self-defense, different techniques to women. We got a probation officers or parole officers out by us that are female. And they go over self-defense techniques, how to use chemical agents. Heck, our postal service, our mail carriers up in our area, because it's a little bit more rural in some areas, more urban in area, other areas. So they very well might come across a dog in one town, go another town over, and you might come across a coyote. They carry chemical agents. What is the common denominator? They've had training and they know how to use it. I don't want to see somebody ta bring a weapon out, have a weapon with them, not know how to use it, and then it used against them or somebody else. Same thing with a firearm. If you want to just go to the store, buy a gun, carry it, and say, yes, I got a gun, you're probably going to be more of a threat and danger to yourself and somebody else. If you're going to go spend a couple hundred bucks and buy a gun and then be upset that decent ammunition is going to cost you a dollar a bullet or a training class is going to cost you $200, check your theories on that one or recheck how you want to carry yourself because... Using your tools is what's important, not the tool itself. Uh, you train as often as you can with your Glock. As often as I can, yes. Not as often as I should, but as often as I can. Me personally, I'd, ra I'd like to hit the range every week. And in all practicality, I'll go out once a month, maybe once every other month if things are really busy for me. Don't get me wrong. When I train, I'm not learning new skills. I'm honing skills I already have. Actually, I'll take that back just slightly. Yes, I, I will train almost daily. Because... There's certain techniques or drills you can do with an unloaded firearm, practicing holstering and unholstering, or just getting it, drawing it, pointing it, so you get used to it. Ideally, you'd want your firearm to be an extension of your body. You want to feel comfortable with it. And that doesn't mean I have to actually discharge it. So do I train? Actually, you know what? I'll say yes. I train almost every day. Because anytime I either clear a weapon, I want to make sure I have the proper grip on the weapon, uh, trigger control. Well, actually, I won't use trigger control because I'm not shooting it, but finger placement. I always hold it the same way so that way I don't accidentally shoot myself or, or anything for that matter. I don't have a negligent discharge. Everything I do with a weapon or any tool that I have always has to have some training mentality behind it or some value to it. Even if it just means I'm taking my weapon out of my holster at the end of the day at work and clearing the chamber. I do it a set way every time so that way if I have to clear the weapon or draw it from the holster quickly, I'm familiar with the muscle memory. So we're going to transition from your world back into mine, and I'm going to ask you about your junk drawer. What's something that you have purchased, something you thought was going to be awesome, and that just didn't pan out? That's a tough one. There's a fair amount of them. I won't say it's not because it didn't pan out, but I'd say in the last eight years, I probably purchased five scallions, a Kershaw scallion, a little mini knife. They're awesome knives. I love them. Mm -hmm. But oh my god, I don't know how many I've lost. And then a month later, I'm cleaning up around the house, and I find another one. So there's a couple of them yes, all Yes, well, not on my couch anymore, because no, 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 not with the little kids. 
all my scallions because they always fall out of my pocket. Sure. They are now in the drawer in my basement. But I don't think that's quite the answer you were looking for. Those for you just had a tendency to float out of your pocket. Yes, I don't know what it was. I had another knife that was smaller than it, and by all accounts, you would think that would fall out better, but I never once lost it. Excellent. So let's be optimistic. What's something uh, on your wish list, something that either due to price point or its lack of existence, uh, or maybe they don't make it anymore, they're just too rare and hard to find? What's that thing that you need to fill out your kit for your EDC kit? Kakadu. That's not a word. uh, It's a company. Oh, okay. It's a company. They make a lot of, like, Outback-type uh, clothing, accessories, and stuff. They have this vest that kind of looks almost like a... I won't say Crocodile Dundee, because I think his was, like, a crocodile leather or something. I'm a bit of a closet cowboy slash Old West fan. They make a vest that has utility pouches on it that you can fit even more stuff into than cargo shorts. And it even has a uh, built-in holster to it. Looks really cool. And the whole reason why I don't own one, I could never live that one down from the wife. Like just be the guy with a tactical vest every well, day? No, because it doesn't look like that. It looks more like something you'd see in like the Australian Outback. I believe it's their Traveler's Vest, if I'm correct. Yeah, their Traveler Vest. They make a carry version of it, which is even better if you want to have like a discreet sidearm on you. That isn't even why I originally saw it. I've always liked that look of a vest. Right. The um the photojournalisty sort of vibe. Yes. And they make one in oil skin mm-hmm. in brown, because I don't want the black. That would be ideal, but your statement earlier about not sticking out as the first guy the uh terrorists and or anarchists need to shoot, this does not fit. No, it doesn't, statement. but it has this really second kind of cool awesomeness to it. <laughs> No, but it's awesome. I wonder how the TSA would like it. They wouldn't notice. (laughs) Uh, And we're stopping the recording now. Thanks so much for being our guest this week. And uh, if people have a bunch of law enforcement questions, maybe we'll drag you back on the show and ask you some of those. Yes. and, And thank you. And thank you. All right, man. Bye. Okay. That was Chris. What should I have asked him? Should I bring him back and ask him about this police incident or that... If you all want to hear more from him, as with any of the guests, I can get back in touch with them. You just have to show me your interest by sending an email to matt at rogueintel.com or comment on Facebook or on Instagram. It's been a pretty tactical show today, so it's a good time to have this accessory here in Shiny. Let me be as clear as I can. This thing is called the Black Eye. But when I say it fast, it comes out sounding like Black Guys. Go to www.theblackeyeproducts.com. Black like the color, I like bloodshot eye, products like things you sell. That's the site. Link, of course, in the show notes. There you will see this, just dumb, simple invention. This is a polymer card. It has a notch in the corner and hooks for O-rings, which are included, that allow it to attach to the scope of your choice. Rifle or crossbow or anything else you have a scope on. And the black eye obscures your vision. Maybe when you were taught how to shoot, you were taught to close the eye that wasn't looking down the tube. Or maybe just squint. I was taught to focus with my good eye and let the other eye be blurry. But not to close it. If you close one eye while aiming, the other eye lets in a ton more light to compensate. Now maybe that's a legend, but squinting all day hurts. That is a fact. 
This thing blocks you from trying to focus downrange with both eyes, but it keeps your peripheral vision intact. If you are a really long-range shooter, do yourself a favor and order one of these and a white grease pencil, which is like a grown-ass crayon for those of you who don't know what a grease pencil is, and you can write down your load data, adjustments, your whole dope right on the thing. The Black Eye was developed by a guy named Tim Conroy who hunts, bow hunts, competition shoots, basically because he needed one. So now this thing is out here. I don't shoot a lot. I don't shoot enough to be really good. And I dig this because especially at long distances, I need all the help I can get. Some of my people out there hunt and shoot. This thing is under 20 bucks at your door with an MSRP of $14.95 plus shipping. And it's so flat in design, so compact and useful, there's barely a reason not to get it www.theblackeyeproducts.com Link in the show notes. We like to carry a lot of stuff, but it's not super cool to look like we're carrying a lot of stuff. One of the central points in this episode was keeping a low profile. So what do we mean by that? We mean not sticking out like a sore thumb. You know the guys who look like commandos all the time? There is an excuse if they are in fact commandos. But the guest today is a law enforcement officer, and he looks it. Even when Chris is trying to maintain his low profile, his wife notices. Some people can just spot him a mile away. This all leads back to that shared temptation to overdo it. We on the Every Daily see the utility in cargo pants, and while we try to stop before we need a fishing tackle vest just to go buy a Slurpee, Maybe while you're listening to this, there's a gun on your hip. So you're listening to me go on and on about cool gear, and you're taking sips off that corn syrup smoothie, and you wonder if anyone notices your gun. If you don't want them to notice, that's low profile. If you have a shotgun over your shoulder and two brandoliers of ammo like a bandito, that's what we would call a high profile. And then we would call the police. Chris's hat, we mentioned briefly, is multicam, as is his big backpack. That's a camouflage pattern that's just so hip right now. It's brown and splotchy, and it's supposed to work good. In fact, a lot better than the current army stuff, which is called ACU, and I use for its high visibility in low-light conditions. No, I'm not kidding. OPSEC is something we mentioned as well. That's operational security. And the words we avoided, mostly avoided, were prepper and tactical. The pockets I use on the Every Daily are the same four. Two front, two rear, the fifth pocket if it's available, and then whatever other pockets that are sewn into whatever I'm wearing. The t-shirt, which I try not to wear out of the house alone, is really popular. At some point, people started wearing a t-shirt with something painted on it as outerwear. I've done it too. Workmen began wearing the t-shirt with nothing over it, but because of cigarettes getting crushed in pants, a t-shirt pocket was then added. You know, for the smokes. I love having someplace to put more stuff, so the pocket tee can't be a bad idea, unless it sucks. My beloved wife had a t-shirt with a pocket just big enough for a 50 cent piece. That didn't make a bit of sense. And I think we've all seen the guy with a pack of cigarettes, and a top spiral notepad, and a pen and a pencil, and his license and stuff, and a rubber band, making his shirt droop on his neck. And when he bends over or leans, it looks like the whole thing is trying to escape. Look close, and you will see a hole starting to get just a little bit bigger at the top corner of that pocket. The shirt is dying a slow death. 
So the pocket tee needs to be tougher. And you'll tell me that Carhartt and Dickies both make tough pocket t-shirts. And I'll tell you that no one likes those because they are so much thicker and heavier than a nice light t-shirt as to almost be something else. We started wearing a t-shirt because we were hot. And then you made a t-shirt heavier because we were using it wrong. It's called a t-shirt because it's shaped like the letter T. The other preference is an A-shirt, these days known as a wife beater. These were once the two types of undershirts. For all of you out there, mostly dads of girls, who think that kids today are not covering up enough, a t-shirt is an undershirt. Until it has buttons, or a collar, or both, don't let your son out of the house. Button-downs mostly have a pocket. The Sipowitz short-sleeved button-down has two. I hate that thing. But the dress shirt, sport shirt thing is a whole other topic. If you aren't going to sweat through it and you want something lightweight, your EDC style tip is the Henley. It's a t-shirt with some buttons on it. These come with pockets. Otherwise, it's an undershirt. That's EDC style. You can and should subscribe to the Pocket Dump Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Or through whatever app or service you use, you can go to pdpc.rogentel.com and copy the RSS feed info as needed. Leave a comment while you're there or review me on iTunes. Or, if you're just that into me, you can send an email to matt at rogintel.com, you can join the forum at rogintel.com, or you can follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. Coming up next week on this show, Chris from Rogintel's Prime will be the guest host so that I can be the guest. I'm not on an ego trip, I just think that if I'm going to be the guy who talks about gear all the time, you might want to know what I carry. If you haven't already, you should join in on some of the crazy at Prime, which is live now on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights. And you can even call in and join in on that insanity. On the last three episodes of Fanboys, Rob and Dan have put Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart on trial, as well as Orange is the New Black. Candid number 12 was the second time that director, Uwe Boll, has been a guest of Lona Mori. If you know who he is, that should be enough to get you downloading. And if you don't, look him up and then at least download both of his episodes of Candid. They're amazing. I've got a lot of work to do as I am my own guest on my own show next time, so you will hear a lot from me soon. Bye.